0: Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to remind you of all the different ways you can get your hands on one of my designs. Impact Fashion is a line of size inclusive, modest clothing available in sizes two through 24 that I'm currently expanding to include up to size 28, but sizes 26 and 28 are not available for purchase yet. I personally design and pattern every single piece in the collection so that it is fitted to perfection and every single piece runs the same. That means that once you know your size, that is your size in every single piece in the collection pretty cool, no? I have some great styles that are perfect for the upcoming wedding season as well as pieces that are perfect for summer heat. You can shop the collection online at impactfashionnyc.com. Shipping is totally free in the U.S. and the return policy is, if I do say so myself, pretty amazing. You have 30 days to make a decision and don't even have to pay return shipping or any sort of annoying restocking fee. Impact Fashion can also be found at the address at American Dream Mall. The address is a cura- curated modest department store and definitely worth a visit if you are not an online shopping type of person. The American Dream Mall is located right next to the Meadowlands Sports Complex in New Jersey. And to get to the address, you're going to want to park in Lot C, Level 3. Make a left when you walk in and you'll see the address on your right. I'm always happy to chat, whether that's to answer your sizing questions or just to get to know each other better. Find me on Instagram at impact.fashion.nyc or on WhatsApp status at 516 953 9391. You can also email me, it's Rifky, Rivky, R I V K Y, at impactfashionnyc.com. Also, if you love the podcast, it would mean a lot to me if you could tell your friends about it. If this is something, that you think your friends would value, then share it with them. They will probably enjoy. We have a good time around here. You could also leave a review or a quick rating on your preferred podcast listening app to just generally make my day and also let other people know how much you love it. For this week's episode, for the first time ever, actually, I have three guests on. We're going to be discussing the organization that they founded together. Um, But I did run into some technical issues with the fact that there were just so many of us on the call. So do me a favor and forgive me if it's a little bit skippier than it usually is, but bear with me. It's a fantastic conversation. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rikki Itziewicz and on today's show, I sit down with the three founders of Jewish Women of Wisdom to discuss the needs of Jewish women aged 50 plus. They share the moments they have realized their life had changed, why it's important to plan for the golden years and get a life. When Feige Horowitz, Miriam Hendalas, and Miriam Lieberman first reached out to me about Jewish Women of Wisdom, the peer-to-peer support group they formed for Jewish women aged 50 plus, my first thought was, wow, this makes so much sense, and I can't believe no one has thought of this before, and also, wow, I've never thought of this before. This is a tale of three diverging and converging life stories and showing up for each other. Unusually enough, we have three guests today, and we are going to be discussing about the work that you're doing, which is... I think very cool, uh, but to start off, I always ask everyone. Uh, good listeners of the podcast know that we always want to know what you were like as a little kid. Uh, so, Miriam Hendelis, can you tell us what were you like as a little kid?
1: Okay, hi, I'm Miriam Hendelis. So, I grew up in Bar Park, and I, I'm one of six children, and I, my, I was one that my mother always called her middle child, the fourth out of six, but. I, I, my attitude, I, the way I was, was like a middle child. I didn't exactly have my place as the oldest and the the most, you know, you know, talented. And that was my perception. And so I was a little bit of a quirky kid. I, I That was my feeling. I don't know if it was everybody else's feeling, but I always felt like I was a little different. And I was quirky and I was, um, you know, had different interests than my friends. I always felt like I had my own interests. Like I like to write. Everybody else liked to write, but I was like into writing. I like to play music, and I like to t- play piano lessons, and I was like into my piano. And I like to do chesed, and I was like into like whatever I did. It was I was intense about. But what was interesting was on the outside, I came across as this, this this bubbly exterior that was just happy-go-lucky, and and there was but there was a lot of anxiety inside me. There was a lot of anxiety inside me. And when I was when I was a child, my mother, I was very close to my father because we both had a lot in common. We were both very. Um, cerebral and, you know, like to learn, like to write, like to study. My father would study Chumish with me. But my mother was more very into fashion, which fits your topic, um, very into fashion and sewed beautifully, sewed all our clothes for us, went shopping at Lomans and all that. And she was, she, that was her nature to be into the outward beauty. And there was always that push and pull between my mother and me. So we had this, and we talked about it. My mother and I are very open about it. We talked about it and we've come around about it. And accepted that sometimes when you have a match between two a mother and a daughter who's not exactly the same which is normal but everybody's the same um there's this feeling so i i would just say i was this quirky funny kid who took myself very seriously and on, on on the inside um was a little bit on the complicated side i was sensitive somebody said something i read into it the wrong way you know and um I, but I was an insightful child. I was insightful, and as I got older, I think all those qualities are still with me. But I've come to much more awareness to like myself for them, and not to put myself down, and not to, it's a it's a process, and not not to not to it's, I'm the same as I was as a child. People see me; they say you're exactly the same. But i but I and I and that's okay. But I've come out to be more um, to blossom, to be more accepting of myself and my flaws. Was and, there something red,
0: specific felt- that you did to become more accepting? Because like you said, those kinds of things of, you know, seeing, being a little bit different and seeing yourself a little bit differently, that can be very hard to come to peace with that. Is that something that just kind of comes with age? No,
1: I think I went through some trauma, not trauma, you know, everybody goes through things in life. I, When I was 26, I had my third child was a little girl after two boys, and she was born with a heart defect. And, um, she went, they told us right away when she was born and, and, you know, it was a whole, a whole, you know, series of events. She came home. They thought she would be fine till she, and then they have surgery at a year, but everything escalated. And then she was not gaining weight, which is a key thing with those children. And she ended up passing away at age three months and we sat shiva. And then I went for therapy that I had a wonderful therapist here in Los Angeles and, um, made me realize that all these things that I think are like, you know, we think we're unusual. We think we're the only one, but we're not. Everyone goes through things. And that's one of the things you learn as you as you, as you get older. We're all in this together. Also, we think that it's bad to be unique, but it's not. It's good to be unique. It's good to be different. It's good to have your own self because we are all different and it's okay to have flaws. And, but She didn't just tell me these things in therapy. You work through it yourself. But over the years I, I have this ability somehow to remember what different mentors told me. I and it's annoying for the mentors probably because I come back. You know, you told me this one time and I really like that you told me that. Probably very annoying, like they have to be careful what they say. But right. I'll remember what, what you said, I'll remember what Peggy said, I'll remember what Miriam said, I'll remember the wisdom that they said, and and, and I'll remember what therapists told me, what rabbis told me, what you know, Rebuttsons told me. And I and I and over the years I've thought about those things and i I try to come back to it and i still make lots of mistakes we all do and but i'm aware i'm more aware and i think it's because of the therapy and it's because of meeting a lot of people and and trying to try maybe because i'm hard on myself but i shouldn't say that because being hard on yourself does not help so i don't know it's just a process also music helped me a lot i became a music therapist and i went back to school and i um for my second degree and music really helped me process things gave me the structure I think people need structure and music has a lot of structure and rules and it gave me the structure to feel more stable and secure in myself and with my relationships.
0: I hear that 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 makes a lot of sense but I'm sorry that you that you had lost your daughter and it's it's that was it
1: that was to my growth because until then I had never been in therapy maybe you know when I was a little girl my mother took me you know but it wasn't like ma- ma- major thing you know Right. Like when when you're an adult and you go it's a, it's a different thing i was like wow this is interesting you know
0: Right, we're gonna put a uh, this. This is like fascinating to listen to, but I'm gonna put a pause on your story now. I'm gonna to move to our other Miriam that's with us today, sure. Miriam sure. Lieberman. Hi, hi. Tell 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 me what you were like as a little kid. Uh, what was I
2: like as a little girl? I grew up in Manhattan on the West Side. Um, I had a lot of family in the neighborhood, which was wonderful because I really didn't have friends. I was always a very social person. I went to school in Broyers and there were very few girls my age in my, my own community. I remember as a young girl, I used to actually cry. I wanted to move to the Heights, to Washington Heights. Of course, we did not move to Washington Heights. And uh, and thank God I developed many wonderful friends, whether you know, in camp or in, in school. And I've always been one of those who reached out to others. I guess I say Hashem blessed me. First of all, everything we have is God-given, you know that. But I feel one of the greatest gifts that I do have probably is confidence, the confidence to make new friends and to reach out. I do this today very consciously, but I was doing it then already as a young girl. So I've always had a very eclectic, and growing up on the West Side, more so, I, I we, we married, we stayed on the West Side, so I had a very collective group of friends. The West Side is known for joining people from all over the world. You now, people all to the right, to the left, Balay chuva I mean, everyone. And uh, like Miriam Handelis, I also was always into music, and I had a lot of music partners, cellists and flutists and pianists, and we just had wonderful times together. Um, I, too, was always um, looking for mentors. Uh, in fact, when my girls, my daughters went to Manhattan High, and Rebitsin Ruthie Asaf was their principal. And I had known Rebetzin Asaf from my Camp Chedva days, where she was head counselor, and she played a very uh, wicked game of Mahanaim. <laughs> <laughs> she was very, very athletic and a fierce player. And I, I, I called her up and I said, you know, I have my older children are boys and I don't know how to raise girls. Can I come talk to you? And I and we became friends. I would go meet with her once a month or so, just, you know, socially. Rebberts and Faggy turkey was one of my favorites also those years. So, you know, in every stage I have reached out to others. Now I'm Lavinia Lawrence and I find myself connecting to some of the older women here. We have a lot of incredible women here. And unfortunately, I no longer have a mother or mother-in-law there. They've all passed on already. And it's important for me to be connected to all ages. I have the older woman, and I have the pleasure and privilege. I run a chabura of younger women who are in their early 40s, uh, just be, you know, entering a new chapter. Like Feige had said, we're into our 60s now. In fact, may I just mention, I'm not sure if it's clear to your listeners, Jewish Woman of Wisdom, where does the title of our organization come from? It's from Pirkei Avos, where we're taught, Ben Shishim Zikna," And what is Zikna? Zeh Chachma, the one who has acquired wisdom. And We 60. hope that, right. So we're hoping that we have a, we've acquired some wisdom at this point, but we're seeking to acquire more wisdom and to share. You know, we our our guideline is connect, communicate, grow. You know, we're into growth mode. Uh, we uh, truth this I find this a very exciting chapter in my life. Baruch Hashem, the children are out of the house, and our time is our own to a great extent, and uh, we can we can create our endeavors. We can. Research new areas, we can branch out and it's it's really very,
0: very exciting. It does sound very exciting. It is. And, I, and I I wanna get to I wanna get to speak more about it, but I'm not letting Fagy off the hook. So okay, Faggy, so what were you says. like as a little kid?
3: Very shy. I was quietish and um not so confident, even though I had a very rich childhood with many generations doting on me. Um I grew up with two sets of grandparents and even great grandparents, something which none of my friends had because my family came here in the 20s. I grew up in Chicago, spent those years and moved to Washington Heights. And that's where I know Miriam Lieberman from, our high school days at Breuer's. And it was major culture shock to a certain extent. We've been to the country for many summers and uh, a wonderful, wonderful place. But New Yorkers, and even though there were some out-of-towners, had their own culture. Uh, I went to camp. There was also this in-group. And there comes slightly insecure me, who was ahead of herself by a year in terms of schooling. They skipped me in my elementary school. And I come to Breuer's with 30 girls in a class. And Washington Heights, people stacked on top of each other no green, sidewalks full of dogs. That was before that law, which we will not go into. And a friend of mine from our summers said a very smart thing to me, which kind of changed my perspective. When I came back from spending uh, four weeks in, in camp, she said, of course they don't need you. These girls are friends. They they have names. They have cousins in Brooklyn. Of course, they're not going to go out of their way for for out of town or like you, and that really made me shift my perspective. I also had parents that were become very public people, um, and I also realized that people value authenticity. Being out of the box is fine, and you have to be. Uh, an authentic Jew, and you have to be respectful of other peoples. You can own your ideas, and the fact that you are exposed to cultures, history, personalities, and experiences that other people don't have makes you an enriched person, and it's fine. And you have a lot going for you. So I began to venture out of. I was out of my comfort zone in many ways. But I began to see that as a plus, and to reach out to other people. We always had this sense of obligation. My parents never said, "Be nice to this and this one." You're the rabbi's daughter, or be nice to that one. It just—I saw this at home. I saw this with my aunts. So I began to venture further and further out of my comfort zone, um, and and became stronger for it. I did know my limits, though. After. High school, I some of my friends went to Israel, doesn't matter. I went away to seminary, but I knew, for example, I couldn't handle city college. I just the idea of going to school in the middle of Harlem in the 70s was just not. Um, and um, I knew I wanted a degree, for example, so I researched and researched, and I was one of the first Empire State College grads. In, in in the late 70s. Um, one of the first observant Jewish women to figure out how to transfer credits from her um, seminary experience it helped that the place I went was very academic and was accredited by the Middle States. But um, I, I, I secured that. I went further. I was, wasn't sure w- what I was doing. But the point is, I made a transition and someone had an impact on me. I will say one thing as I wrap up this piece that I try to tell my grandchildren and some of my acquaintances, I'm a Rebbiton of a shul for a number of years. This is our third shul. I tell people and my grandchildren that I was once a Neb (laughs) and once a, a not socially part of the group or I felt insecure socially. And I felt I there were certain points where I didn't have the right clothes, I didn't have the right associations or whatever, and I am not quick on the draw, or I wasn't then. And I tell this to them because I want them to to understand that a person grows and go, my grandchildren, I also want the people in jail to know this is, you're seeing a finished product here or a growing product. But you're not, there was a history and there have been changes and um, the the friendliness, I call myself, you know, the social director in shul, I greet everybody <laughs> and try to come over to people and be warm and welcoming uh, to people of all ages. You know, it doesn't come naturally to me. It does not. I made a conscious decision and over time I got better and better at it and for kids, even though today they can access social skills training and everybody's going into therapy and has a lot of, so, of professional supports. Um, we are all on a journey and improving ourselves um, in a conscious way is smart and going out of your comfort zone is smart. It just makes you more resilient when life will throw you things and life will inevitably throw you things. Right as they
0: say, nobody makes it out alive. The I, I'm curious. I'm curious to hear at what point. So we're we're here talking about Jewish women of wisdom, which is the organization that the three of you founded, um, for Orthodox women ages 50 plus. And I'll be perfectly honest. I will admit I'm the baby of the group here. I'm 28 years old. And when you first reached out to me, you know that this was something you wanted to discuss. I am. My head immediately went to, oh, like of course someone should be doing something for women in this age bracket. And also, wow, how come no one's done anything for women in this age bracket? Like it was something that I had never thought of up until that point, And it immediately made sense to me. And um, asking as, as as a very young person, I'm curious to hear, at what point did you start feeling like you had entered a new life stage? Like a, Mar- Miriam Handelis, maybe you could you could share this with us. At what point was it like, Was it when your youngest graduated high school? Like, when did it start feeling like, oh, wow, my life is in a very different chapter from what it had been previously? I think, I think, thank you for asking that. I think it's when
1: my oldest one got married. Um, I think this started changing. Um, I have five sons and my youngest, my oldest is 13 years older than my baby son. So basically on, you know, he had his bar mitzvah right um when i was 6 weeks postpartum from my from my youngest i am stressed so, um, just
0: listening to that wow
1: yeah and it was right after the the northridge earthquake which was ninety ninety four. about 55 people never passed away it was a major earthquake um i don't know if it's you're too young to know about it but i'm not going to go there um, i'll take they, your word for it it doesn't they, sound it my, fun it was a huge earthquake 6.7 and Biggest earthquake in the, in the history of L.A. recently, anyway, and, and it was in the city. It wasn't in in you know, you. But still, in the middle of, of the ocean. Anyway, my oldest son got married, and I, I started realizing the the relationship between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. I don't have daughters, and I have sons, and I had then I had a daughter-in-law. Who I adore my oldest daughter-in-law, and I adore all of them. But this was the first one. I started writing, and I started writing about this. This, I always knew I was a writer because in, in high school, I was the editor of the newspaper, and I was, had a, I was involved with the yearbook, and writing my, English was my favorite subject. I taught English in Bessiaco here in L.A. for like 10 years. When I started realizing that I want to write professionally, and I want to see if I can get published, and they started liking my stuff, the first a local paper in L.A. would take it, and, and I started realizing that this idea is a new, it's a new stage for me. It's a new stage. It's, it's something different. It's something there's something different about this stage. It's more it's more um live and let live. It's not trying to we're not raising our kids anymore. We they we have raised them already. Now it's their turn to raise their kids. Now it's their turn. They're under new management. A friend of mine, Shirley Levivix, who's a well known therapist, and um you're laughing.
0: It's she fantastic. Loves- I love that. Under, under new management. It's so true. She
1: wrote a book. She wrote a book about Shidduchism and how to navigate the Shidduch stage with, for, for daughters, which doesn't apply to me because I didn't marry off daughters. But she one time joked with me, she says, my next book is going to be called Under New Management. She already had the title. So, you know, thank you very much for your advice, mother-in-law, sister-in-law, older, you know, whatever. But th- you're not in charge anymore, you know. And this is something that I, I was preparing for my whole married life because I had, you know, some relationships that were a little you know, um, maybe not so equal in power. Um, I felt that way. Like I said, from my childhood, I always felt a little bit different. So maybe that was the projection from there. It's my psychology. I was, you know, transferring, whatever the point is, you know, yeah, I had my triggers, but I vowed to myself that I'm going to be quote unquote, a good mother-in-law and I'm going to let them. So I started writing about that. And that's when I realized that I'm in a new stage because when you're a parent, you're not supposed to be saying, Oh, let them do whatever they want. You have to be, you know, you have to give them that feeling of security that you're taking care of them and you're in, char- in charge. Obviously, you give them space, but when, you know, you can't be this most permissive parent. But when you're when your children are old enough to get married, they're old enough to name their child, they're old enough, and I started writing about it and then I wrote articles and the articles became a book and, you know, and so forth. Um, called Mazel Tov It's a Bubby and Miriam Lieberman at the same time, I was meeting Miriam Lieberman she asked me to come over. She came over to me. So her daughter, she happens to have a daughter who married an LA boy where I live. And she came and we got together. We realized that we have so much in common. She had already written a book. It was, I think it was already published, and she was getting ready to write another one. And so I contributed to her second one. I was not even in in the game for the first one. I contributed to her second one actually three or two or three articles. She edited them for me, and then they had a big gathering in her west side apartment, which I didn't go to because LA, you know we don't we don't travel so we travel but those days i still have little kids but my point is that my oldest one started the whole ball rolling and then after that i had my second one get married a year later next one got married five years later and then next one two years later and then next one just a few years ago baruch hashem i'm very blessed but it was like i think that first one was like it was so different you know people were going through emptiness syndrome and I I, I don't, I don't I, sometimes I feel like I'm maybe I'm not compassionate enough for people who have the empty nest syndrome. But I was like, Hashem <laughs> <Bar> <laughs> Hashem, they're on their own and they're taking care of themselves. I still have little kids. I still have a son who, a grandson, my no, my youngest one, when my oldest one got married, my youngest one was eleven or twelve. He was a little boy. He was in, in sixth grade. He was adorable. He was my baby, but we st- I still have little kids. So you know Hashem doesn't make you have the empty nest all at once. It's slowly, gradually empties. And Baruch and I had interests as, a, as all the years, as I think all three of us had that, where, so it wasn't like suddenly like, oh no, my gosh, now my identity has changed. But the obligation to take charge and to make the daughter-in-law, it's my, we're the adults. And I always felt that if the daughter-in-law is maybe, some people have difficult daughters-in-law and it's hard for them. They're coming into a new situation, but it's our job as the mothers, as the mother-in-law, to be mature about it and let them have their space. Not say, "Oh, they should apologize to me." No, we have to. We have to give them the the not covered. Obviously, we're still, but, but we have to. We have to set the stage for, for shalom because shalom is is so important to me. It was my father's name, shalom, and I just find that shalom. even though sometimes I get upset about things, but I'm always like, you know, someone says I over apologize. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know. <laughs>
0: It's like, the peace. That's, it's, it's that's important We've want solo that's,
1: what, that's really what we all want. We want inner peace and we want relationships.
0: So true. And <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. And it's also, it's, you know, you mentioned that, that Miriam Lieberman was kind of thinking about these issues at the same time that you were through and before, uh, me, before me, before you, right. You know, You're coming in at yeah. the second book. Um, So, so Miriam, what were you, what was leading you to think about these different kind of life stage changes and I know that you know you had you you have already written some kind of you call them anthologies about midlife you know different essays from different women what what was what was going on on your end of things that made you start thinking about these changes
2: okay so I've um I've always been a voracious reader and I I just read a lot and I'm always curious what goes on in my own life and there were a lot of changes like uh, my two boys you asked Miriam when did when did her new chapter begin? I would think my new chapter for me was when my older boys they both left home at the same time to go out of town to yeshiva, mm. and it, it was traumatic for me. It was hard. So and then my mother became ill, and I was dealing with an an, uh, an ill mother. And before I knew it, menopause came around. Like I just there were a lot of changes in my life, and no one was talking about anything. And then, you know, nothing, nothing is serendipity. You know, we know it's all from God. I was asked by um, Targum Press actually to please write a book for women. Uh, We call in The Middle Stages. And at the time already, a couple of years had gone by and I I was very eager to. But I said, I can't. I have to marry off. I'm trying to marry off a couple of kids. I can't give it the attention that it needs. Thank God they came back a year later, two years later. By then, the two had been married. And um, Baruch Hashem. So I i don't think your your participants can't see but you could see <laughs> okay this is the first anthology um at the entire Press unfortunately closed shop minuqua publishing took over the best is yet to be and we're discussing all the issues that i was dealing with we're talking about dealing with elderly parents letting go of our children going through menopause the new relationships in our lives dealing with mahatanim and, and this and daughter-in-laws and sons-in-laws and thank god this went very well and they asked me to do a sequel And this was the result to fill the sky with stars. Now these are both, you've mentioned their anthologies and it was really great for me because of course um, I do have my own essays in here, but I did reach out to many incredibly wonderful, wise, insightful women. Some woman that I knew from before, so as Miriam said, she's in here and represented, Peggy certainly very well represented in the books, but I met many other wonderful and exceedingly wise women who participated also, and then I realized that there's a need for this because there was nothing out there beforehand, nothing.
0: Around and, and what year are we talking? Changes. When when was this? that this so happened?
2: I actually looked at, this one was, uh, this. the first was published in 211,
0: okay. and the second one was published in 214. Okay, so, so relatively, like within the last decade, and yes, y- yeah, and and right. I'm I'm curious, like around what time did all three of you meet? Like I know that Feige and Miriam Lieberman, you knew each other from high school, and Miriam Henselis and Miriam Lieberman, you knew each other from you know the work that you were doing together. Right. So uh, how did the all-
2: point at how connected we all are? Miriam wants to say something. I just want to say the timeline,
1: which is interesting. You said your first book came out in 2011. Yes, well, my first book was published. I submitted it in 2000. 2000- 10 or 11, but till the, the whole process, it was actually published in 2012. So we, oh. we were just, I was just. 11, overlapped and But yeah. we didn't know about each other. It was so interesting how we were all, we were mental telepathy, thinking about the same thing. And and then, and then, you know, that was my first book. September, 2012 was when it was published. And, but I think I started writing. Um, I'll tell you, just to give the timeline. My oldest son got married in 2006, you know, July, 2006. And then, um when my daughter-in-law was expecting my oldest grandson is when I started writing, you know, about the feeling of becoming a grandmother. It was like, whoa, I'm so big. I'm a big girl, you know? And and, and I wrote, my first article was called Naming the Grandparents. What we yeah. all going to be. It was based on my husband and I and my kids, because I had four kids at home. The, others were, the oldest one was married. We literally sat around the dining room table and we said, what should I be called? And it was like, everybody was like saying, you have to be called this. I said, well, it's my job to name myself because that's my, and then I said, you know, let me write an article about that. It was kind of funny. What'd you decide on? Omi. 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 I
0: like it. Is that a play on Oma?
1: Oma. Yeah. because my mother's Oma and my grandmother's one of my grandmothers. I come from German background from my mother's side and my father's Belgium, but way back is also German. So we have like a lot of German background. So, um, my So the Oma was the name that we a lot of, some of my sisters are Bobby and my son, but I'm or Bobby, but I'm the Oma for me. We call it me. But the point is, I that was like the beginning of the writing. It was the late 2000s, early, the, the arts They called that the aughts, you know, the, right. the fourth, you know. So 2006, 2007, 2008. And by 2010, I started writing for Bina because at first I was writing for a local magazine. And then Bina ended up accepting all my, some of our reprints and then they had me write new ones. They said, we don't want any more reprints. you want your nice. to
0: write- Very nice. Very nice. So, so, and so then- how, did, how did this all convalesce into JWow? How did that come together, Miriam?
2: Shaggy and I had the privilege of being part of a podcast a while ago. How many years ago was it, Shaggy?
3: A long Seven time eight, ago.
2: Eight, nine years Probably, ago? Probably, yeah. Okay, forgive me. I can't recall the name of the woman who interviewed us, but we were in a podcast discussing these issues that were relevant to women uh, and um, Sarah great was one of our founding members from Baltimore. She was part, she heard us, and she contacted us. She contacted you, Fagy.
3: She and contacted you, both you know, of us, I con- think.
2: Both of us, and she was the one who suggested perhaps we should start our own organization, and we sat on it for a while, and we did a lot of talking and sharing, and we said, let's go for it. Let's go for it. We started before covid So we were actually doing um, in-person meetings, which was really a lot of fun. We went to Muncie and they were all interactive programming. We would present scenarios and then we would have the women divide up into different groups. Everyone had a chance to speak and to be heard. Everyone had a voice. We did Muncie, we did um, Lakewood, we did Baltimore, uh, Brooklyn we did, we did Lawrence and the five towns here in the uh, main group. And then COVID came. And um, Sarah unfortunately bowed out and thank God Miriam came to join us. And um, we've been going wrong since then. We have a very uh, an active site, interactive website. We have regular programming once a month. We'll have a, uh, a Zoom program for uh, fascinating women presenting. And again, we always try and make it interactive. We often will divide up into groups and uh, everyone has a chance. And now we have a, a book club, which is great fun for all of us. Which is led by Barbara Ben Shushan and Ahava Aaron Price. You may recognize their names, they're major writers. And we're really covering all the genres. We're having a lot of fun with it. And the beauty is that when we have our Zooms, um, people will come on with their faces, with their videos. So it's really it's 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 really fun. You're really connecting. And the women have a great time and they're all coming back again and again.
3: faking. What I think makes the need for our organization. Um, compelling is that today's midlife orthodox jewish women are very different than their mothers in what Um, way their mothers may have been survivors their mothers may have been european they may have helped their husbands in the business all along or gone back to help their husbands in the business when they when the kids left the house but today's women our age have been working we are educated we we are we know psychology you know um we're not going to come down heavy on our kids we're not scared of therapy our challenges are different however we're going to live longer many of us are sandwich generation people um we're also we've gone through transitions we've had choices um, during the time when Miriam Hendlis and Miriam Lieberman were writing their respective books, I came to a new community. I didn't have to work for the first time. It was 2008. I was laid off. I had had um, a very nice career in nonprofit management, as well as doing things in the in the Jewish community with various organizations. Um, and I had always vowed to, to see could get something published the one other time I had a a hiatus from work um someone in my family was sick my daughter got married I finished my master's in management but this time I came to a new community I had the time and I within six weeks I established a writing group people I didn't know Our, our our shul that my husband came to lead was a new shul was young people and I made friends Um, through this writing group, and I started submitting, and and I really worked on my craft, and um, for me, this was a shift. It was a a time when I could look into myself, because when you're busy, and you're working full-time, and raising kids, and have parents, or or extended family members who need you, and you're busy with, with communal life as well, you don't have the time to look into yourself. I would walk, this is a beautiful neighborhood with lots of magnificent parks here on Long Island, lots of beautiful places to walk. And I looked into myself and then I would go back to my computer and 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 um and work at it and work at it and work at it. But the, but I will say something else. Women our age, like I was then. N- realize that they need to talk things over and they want to talk things over with peers we are a peer-to-peer organization when we were planning this and we were planning chapters and we were planning a a digital platform we also knew that we had to create a sense of community and not to, to talk at people so um women feel it's a safe place to share it's like sitting together at at a, a table, at a bar mitzvah or at a wedding with people who you may not know very well or new people, but you find something to talk about, and you you want to hear other people's perspectives. We've all gone gone through life. We've all had ups and downs with kids, with our health, with jobs, with finances. So this is a very we come to JWow and to this stage of life with some hard earned life experience. At the same time, we are interested in shifting. We are interested in pursuing new interests. We we w- want to plan for our retirement. Um, the, the Viennese psychologist, or maybe he was Swiss, um, Carl Jung said in the second half of life, people tend to follow their non-primary interests. It, when when you're young, you go with what's dominant. We have the time, the headspace, the confidence to follow new interests that may have been there, but not so dominant um, um, years before, you know, this is the. The classic image of a, of a midlife person is she picks up a paintbrush and all of a sudden she takes a couple of lessons and, and she's producing masterpieces. It's because she always had some kind of skill and some kind of interest, but didn't have the time and energy to commit to it. So we are pursuing new interests. We are, become, we are gaining resources for ourselves. We are expanding our networks of relationships because let's face it we move our kids move on we're not meeting people so naturally at carpool and at PTA and um it we we pursue relationships a little bit differently and we do have to pursue them because the more relationships we have the the more engaged and vibrant our later years will be i work i'm going to wrap up this piece but I I do work for a home care company and I write a lot about senior issues and have socialization and engagement with people of all ages and close relationships are pivotal to a successful aging. We're not there yet, but we're all thinking about it. So we are in this very rich time, rich with opportunity, rich with experience, rich with time. And hopefully many of us have established ourselves financially um, and are at a, at a place of stability where we have the headspace to to exploit these opportunities.
1: I just wanna say two things. Number one, um, one of the things that we talked about is how we coalesce together. So I'm, I'm piggybacking on that. Um, as 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 Peggy and Miriam just explained, they started out with Sarah Brett, right, and um, and then I joined subsequently, um, and then we were four, and then we were three, whatever. But the point is that I came from a different vantage point. At, that I wanted to do this, like I said before, when my, I became a mother-in-law and I became a a, 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 um, a grandmother, mostly the grandmother at first, and you know, and then it was also um, the idea of. I wanted to emulate my own grandmothers. I grew up, like you said, with, with, I had, you know, four grandparents, my mother's parents, my father's parents. And I was, you know, not so, I was pretty, you know, I was a a teenager when some of them passed away. And then I was an adult when my two grandmothers passed away. I also had a great grandmother and a great grandfather from my father's, from my father's side. And I always felt that both my grandmothers were very free spirits and Doing things to, into their late eight late eight nineties. My grandmother, my father's mother, um, her name was Rachel. That was her Hebrew name. And and um, she took art lessons in her eight, eighties. She went swimming in her eighties. She took Hebrew language in her eighties. She went to the Y. She had every day. She had another activity, and it was it made an impression on I me. Mean, she read the New York Times every day. She helped me move my French Homer because she, she lived in Belgium when she raised my father and my aunt. And so these things made an imprint on me. Oh, when you're older, you keep doing things. When you're older, you don't stop. When you're older, you want to learn more new things that you never got to learn. My grandmother said when she was in Poland, when she was a little girl in Poland, she said her she was an only child. And she used to tell me stories. I said, Grandma, tell me stories of when you were a little girl. I used to love it. And she would sit on the couch after my grandfather died. And she'd you know, come for Shabbos. And she'd say, um... I never was able to learn Hebrew. My father was afraid I'd become a Zionist. So he didn't Mm -hmm. let me learn Hebrew. So I only learned, he taught me how to daven. I, you know, I couldn't go to school. And she, but she was an avid reader. Very, very big reader. You know, only child and liked to read a lot. And, and, and she didn't have a lot of friends because maybe they weren't such a good influence on her. So she was one of these people who wanted to learn Hebrew so badly. But when she became in her eighties, she said, you know what? Now I'm going to learn Hebrew. And she went to the Y in Borough Park, which is where we lived. And she took Opan. In, in 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 the why? That's adorable. So that ding 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 me, you know, I'm gonna learn new things. Obviously, when you're raising kids, and I I was in school when I was raising kids, and I was you know part time. I was in school. I was working part time giving piano lessons, and then I became a music therapist when I went back to school. But the, years later, I was um, thinking to myself, you know what? I want to take art lessons, which is ridiculous because I was always I'm not the artist. My sister's the artist. But the idea, this idea of trying to help each other and, and inspire each other came from my nature and from my grandmothers. And I, I saw that some people, everybody t- takes it from different ways. And there are some people who get it from, because they intellectually say, you know, this is something that we have to help other people. Because there are so many people who don't have hobbies and they, and, they, and they marry off their kids and then they're lonely and they feel Man. that emptiness. You know, the term emptiness is a popular term. It exists. It's real. Um, but not everybody has that, but many do have that. And that's why we are there to have that conversation. So I came from the avenue of my own self growth and to spread out, but Miriam and Fagy, I think came more from like an organizational thing. And then I joined them. So I think it was just interesting to see the different ways that we've kind of coalesced and we bring our different personalities together.
0: Right, and different perspectives are are always helpful. Miriam, I see you have something to add as well.
2: Yeah, I just, I like what Miriam said. You know, it's a, thank God we work very well together. We really see ourselves as a team. Um, the word we didn't use yet is the word proactive. I, I like that word. I feel as we as we get older, we really have to be proactive. We can't just fall into the years. We have to, you know, and every realm, take care of our health, you know, socially, financially, and spiritually. It's all part of it. You can't just fall. And I have one friend years ago, She would her line was, get a life. Don't, <laughs> don't sit on top of your children. You can't live through them. You have to make sure you have your own life. So right. um, that's what we're trying to do ourselves, and um, and truth is we're having a great time doing it. So we just want to take everyone with us. Yeah, great.
0: that's that's such a great way to to approach things.
3: Planning is the experts say for the next stage is so important because relationships will count. Um, core pursuits. Are very important. Wes Moss, who, who wrote a book, he's a financial planner, he's very popular, YouTube and elsewhere, wrote a book about the the 10 happy habits of the happiest retirees on the block. And money we know, um, health, we know what we need to do. But the 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 third piece is the connection and um connection, social connections and pursuits, not just we're gonna pick up um tennis when i retire but investing in those pursuits before you leave the workforce or before you get older um and and you have to really have at least six and the more you have the better the better and happier you are as a retiree and um not everybody has the luxury of retiring not everybody wants to retire Mrs. Lubling the famous Mrs. Lubling the queen of Chesed in 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 Bar Park was a Polish woman Polish Jewish woman who went to Israel as a halutza in the 30s as a pioneer with the with the Poalei Agudat Israel movement and and built came here for medical reasons she once turned to me um in the middle of a car trip and she says in her inimitable declarative tones, Fega, a person should not retire. Never stop working. <laughs> oh, and I such, thought about it. We're, we're going to end on that. That's such a great... That, I
0: that's, do want to say what I
1: think.
3: But what was my response? I was driving and there was no one else in the car. I said to her, Mrs. Lubling, and I said it in Yiddish so she would take it in, even though I'm a young American chick. You know, American born, mm-hmm. um younger than her own children, I said, Oh one should never stop working if that's one's personal choice. Right. American you. right. So American but, of you.
0: So American of you.
1: I my husband and I had what? Go I Mary. just wanna say that I
2: just we spoke just I mentioned the book before the title was really chosen with tremendous thought and i really feel if we're proactive and we plan ahead with hashem's help the best is yet to be they really can be fabulous years up ahead and as a team working together everyone uh, you know joining together and befriending and and uh, just being there they can be fabulous years but i do want to say one
1: thing i want to say it's dovetailing on the retiring thing, um and on the role models. We all had role models. I do want to mention my mother. She should be till 120 and how she was a role model is a role model for me of living and letting live and letting, letting the next generation, you know, have their time. We had our time. Now it's their time. And, you know, she's I know her, You know, in her nineties and, and my sisters take care of her. My wonderful sisters and my brother, cause I live far away. And my mother's like, okay, tell me where I'm going. This shop is, Obviously, she, you know, wants to have control. It's like she knows that this is the time. And then when she was in her early 90s, they took away her, the car. You know, she stopped driving. She was the biggest driver, press it all over. But there's a time for everything. Like, and I think, you know, that's a big theme with us. Like, this is our time to slow down, but not slow down. To pace ourselves and to do things and to have, It's you know, somebody once said, you can have it all, but not all at the same time. This is our time. To, to move to a different stage and to accept where we are and to accept how we're, we're our own people now, but we're not what we were when we were younger. And that's okay. And let them and move on to our hobby and do what we love and feel good about it. Like Miriam's book says, the best is the end. I will conclude
3: with, with a line. Someone from shore reminded me of last Shabbos at Kiddush. And she said, you said when you came to this neighborhood i didn't know her very well she said i didn't know middle age could be so much fun <laughs> well <laughs> i'm looking forward to
0: it It, it is it's a lot, lot of
3: fun it's the best
1: you know it's, i i think to myself those years i had i don't know if you're gonna put this in maybe you'll cut this out but i'm just saying i was like you know go through life like with without with like you know gray glasses now i feel like everything's sharp I see things sharp, like Nerm said. With you know, chachma. I feel no, not to brag, but I feel like I see things with more clarity. You know, I, I, you know, I. It's like we have the wisdom, which is I think clarity and knowing discernment. I think it was like I used to doubt myself. What should I do now? What should I do now? Now people are coming to me for advice. What?
0: That's like it doesn't make sense. I can't wait to get old. It sounds fun. <laughs> it does sound fun. If somebody wants to learn more about JWow, the website is Jewishwomenofwisdom.org. They do events. There's a newsletter. There's a lot of information and resources there. And I highly encourage you to go and check it out. Um, unfortunately, we gotta cut it off now. This has been so fun, but I mean, we could go for three days, but uh, you know. <laughs> We, we, do, we do have to bring it to an end at some point. Thank you so much for coming on today, you three. Thank I you. had a really lovely time.
3: Thank
0: you. Thank, you. thank you for having us. Thanks so much. The very best. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Jewish women of wisdom, including the books my guests wrote, the links are in the show notes. On the last episode, I spoke with and Pascal Cohen about inclusivity in the modest fashion industry with some special guests. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Impactful Podcast is a project of Impact Fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are currently available in sizes 2 through 24 and soon up to size 28 by going to ImpactFashionNYC.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 18 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. Tuesday and hosted by me, Rifti at Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.